of going, even going to church on Sunday morning has been a little shaky, but um, please come back tonight. It's going to be a time of uh, worship, of testimonies. We're going to install an elder in our church. We're going to lay hands and ordain uh, Grant Gramstad tonight. You're going to have opportunity to, to just share, and we'll experience communion together. It'll be an hour-long service from 6 to 7. I know there's a lot to cram in one hour, but please be back, back tonight at um, 6 o'clock. So, we are in this series about overcoming fear. We talked, sang this morning about being washed by the blood of the Lamb, that we are free from shame and guilt, and ultimately what we're free from is fear. Uh, we walk in so many fears, and really, if we're not careful, then fears determine the course of our life. We will walk in a way to avoid stepping into the thing that we're afraid of. And we'll organize our life around fears. And so I believe that one of the things God is calling us to do this year, particularly as I was coming into this year, and a lot of it had to do with the virus last year as I, I witnessed people um, not in a healthy way fearful, but in an, a, a paralyzed way fearful that God is calling us to be a people who can walk free from fear. And we have so many fears. Fear of death, we've looked at. Fear of failure. Uh, in the days ahead, we're going to look at fear of intimacy. We're going to look at fear of uh, being out of control, uh, fear of the future. And today, I want to talk about um, the fear of rejection. But as I do so, I want you to remember that God has not given you the spirit of fear. The fear that we experience many times does not come from here. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about these fears that paralyze us because he's given us a spirit of love, power, a sound mind. And so we want to walk in freedom from fear. And one of the fears I would say that has infected every single person in this room at some level or another is the fear of rejection. The fear of people, fear of people, really, fear of man. I mean, every one of us in this room at some point has tried out for a play, uh, gone out for a sports team, uh, tried to be cheerleader. They wouldn't let me in. Uh, gone for a new job, you know, applied to college. And at some point, do you remember those days when you, you, you tried out for something and you had to go to the door and look at the door to see if your name was listed on the door. And then you'd look down and your name wasn't there. And there's this like thing that just jumps on you, the spirit of rejection. And for some people, it, we handle it in different ways. And I think, again, every person in this room in some way has been, has been captured here. It's all right, man. It's all right. 
guy just totally got turned down. Oh, monkey lands, the cringe factor. Doesn't it just make you like... <laughs> I'm sorry, I laughed. I couldn't help it. You could go on YouTube, as a matter of fact, and there are hours of these. Public proposals that got rejected. Uh, my advice, unless you know they're going to say yes, do not at the football game or the basketball game or at the mall or on stage propose to someone. Because uh, there's a lot of rejecting going on. But at some level, we all have this fear of being rejected. And it, it really stems from a fear of man. Now, I have to confess, to be totally upfront, that this is one of the struggles of my life, uh, which is probably a lot of people's struggles. I'll share a couple of stories from my life later on. But the fear of man it has been a lifelong journey for me to kind of battle through. Because we are all at times faced with, do I do this or I do this? And we know that if we even go the way God has directed us, we go the direction that God has called us, that there could be rejection that takes place. And the, call, the, the question is, will we do this even though we may be rejected? When we want to start fullness, 2016, 100 years ago, I can't even remember. Um, when we went to start fullness, I was a minister of music at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church. Uh, I called a friend of mine who was in music, and uh, I said, hey, I feel like God is calling me to, um, to start a church. And <clears throat> many of you are, are way young, so you don't remember the days when starting a church with contemporary music and freedom of worship when that was like outside the bounds of normalcy. You know, there weren't like Church of the Highlands around or other churches like Fullness uh, in the early 90s that had this idea about contemporary, I mean, you know, drums and electric guitars, you might as well be playing Santana in the, in the worship service back then. So there just wasn't that. So this really close friend of mine said, hey, if you do this, you'll be burning every bridge you've ever built. Basically, it's that you'll never work in this town again kind of thing. And again, I, I had never started a church, so the odds of us being successful were really low. And I'm thinking, well, if I, we start this church and it fails, then what am I going to do? How am I going to feed a family? How am I going to... You know, there's this fear of man and fear of rejection and that just, if you're not careful, will determine the steps that you take. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of power, love, sound mind. So the question is, will the fear of man dictate our existence or will the word of God? We're constantly faced with this choice. So... The fear of man is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Here's the ironic thing. The fear of man is what? It's a trap, but trusting in the Lord is what? Safety. So we, we stupidly, excuse me for a second for just going for it, but stupidly we think, oh, I, I don't want to go this direction because 
it's unsafe. No, following the Lord is safety. Fear of man is the trap. What are some of the pitfalls of this fear of rejection? By the way, I listed about 30 of them as I was thinking of this, and I've tried to narrow it down. I'm going to preach on three, and then I'm just going to give you like five more, and then the other 20 we'll just worry about in the days ahead sometime. But here's three of the, the, the key ones. And if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to read some passages from 1 Samuel. I want to look at the life of Saul, particularly as an example of a person who's whose entire course could have been one direction, but went another because of his fear of man, his fear of rejection. The first pitfall I want to look, like, uh, look at, not look like, I would rather not look like it, uh, but I'll look at it, is uh, overcompromise. We will compromise what we know to be right, what we know we should be doing, in order to not get rejected. You remember, Saul is the first king. Saul has a history of feeling less than. I mean, I'm not even going to go back and look at all the passages, but when Samuel is told by God that Saul is going to be king and Samuel tells Saul, Saul's first response is, whoa, 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 not me. I'm like the least of my tribe. I'm the least of my group, and we're the Benjamites. Uh, we're the smallest of all the the tribes. Can't be me. And Samuel says, no, he hears the proof, gives him some prophetic words about how it's going to be proof. Those prophetic words come to pass. Samuel gathers all the people and they go through this rigmarole to get down to Benjamin and select Saul as king. And where is Saul when he gets selected king? He's hiding. He's hiding among the supplies. He doesn't even want to come out. He's so afraid that if he gets announced and they reject him, that's what he comes out, the Bible says he's great looking. He's a head taller than anybody else. He gets anointed by Samuel. He becomes king. He starts having victory after victory after victory. The nation gets united behind him. He, he is in this period of being, he's really, Saul's name for us has become synonymous with the things that happen later in life. But when he started off as king, he was kicking it. He was doing great, but he still had inherent within him the fear of man and the fear of rejection. So he's going to fight the Philistines who are now angry because the nation of Israel has just been their, you know, the dog they could kick around for so long. And now Saul has brought them together and they're, they're experiencing victory. And, and Samuel says to Saul, go, get ready for the battle. I'll come and offer the sacrifice and then we'll go out into battle. Saul does what he's told. He goes and waits. Seven days he has to wait for Samuel to show up. Toward date five, six, seven, some of the guys start saying, I don't think Samuel's coming. Let's go on home. They start to disperse a little bit. Saul gets really antsy, gets nervous. And so, rather than doing what he should have done, which is wait for Samuel, he offers the sacrifice. He offers it before he goes into battle. He disobeys what Samuel has told him. He compromises what he should have done. Then Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, 
When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, man, he's got reason after reason after reason, doesn't he? I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord, the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I mean, he's got a ton of legit reasons, at least in his sight. Samuel says, you acted foolishly. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of this people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. The compromise that Saul established in circumstantial evidence, everything appeared like, it appeared right. Hey, I've got these reasons, and they're all good reasons, except the Lord had commanded for him to do one thing, and he did another. He compromised for the, because of the fear of people. Listen, I want to say, especially if you're a young person here, I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony of us older people caving to peer pressure, compromising what we knew was the right thing to do at the right moment for fear that people would reject us. I, I have some close friends who compromised their stand on drugs and alcohol, never dreaming that they would become a drug addict or an alcoholic. You know what I mean? I, again, there are certain things you just need to not walk in. If you come from a family with a history of alcoholism, don't, don't go there. You know, I'm not preaching against alcohol from a biblical. I'm saying common sense. Listen to the Lord. Don't compromise. Walk in the direction that God has for you. No one says, Saul didn't set out that morning to say, you know what, I'm going to ruin the kingdom today. I'm going to lose my kingship. No, but in his heart, because he was willing to compromise, because he was so afraid of people, Samuel gives this prophetic word that the kingdom is going to be taken from him. Overcompromised, one fear of pitfall of rejection. Another one is being overly cautious. Overly cautious, not just being frozen. I have five different children, and they are so different. I mean, they're different. You know, I would, I, with the first one, I thought, okay, we got one. I know what this, the second one's going to be like. Boom, the second one comes. Like, where did this one come from? What did he, who is this? And then a third one, different than the other two. And then I had two girls, and Lord have mercy. I don't even know what happened there. So, but among my children, if, if you're, we were talking, I was talking to someone this morning about this. If you're sitting at a table and one of them would spill a drink, you know, one of my children, their first act would be to jump up, grab towels, wipe it down, get it, clean it up. Another of my children would be to get really mad at the cup. You know, like it's the cup's fault that it happened. Uh, and then a third one of mine would just be frozen, like and you'd yell, get a napkin, do something, move. You spill time. So some of us, when we're faced with the fear of rejection, we might compromise. 
Others of us, we become overly cautious. We don't do anything. Second event in Saul's life. After he's already disobeyed God once, Samuel says to him, look, you're going to go out and you're going to do battle with the Amalekites. And I want you to, God is saying, eliminate the Amalekites. Now, for us, this is, you know, we have tough times trying to justify Old Testament things. But the Amalekites were the descendants of Esau. They represented the flesh, the works of the flesh. And so Samuel says to Saul, kill them all. Kill the king, kill the people. You're not even to take any of their stuff. Kill all their animals, kill the sheep, kill the chickens, kill them all. Again, it's tough. So Saul goes, has victory, but he doesn't kill the king. He lets the people, some of the men, talk him into, oh, why kill the good goats? Let's, let's do this. Let's take the goats, then we'll sacrifice them to the Lord, and then we'll eat them. Why, why just kill them? It's such a waste. So Saul gives in. He's overly cautious to what the people says. Bad news, Samuel shows up again. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel says, what then is the bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? <laughs> you got to love this picture. To me, it's just, it's, it's, I did it. Hey, I obeyed the Lord. Hey, What's, what's the baying I hear in the background? What's the mooing going on then? Samuel answers, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Oh, we can see this is not going to go in a good direction, right? But Saul says, okay, tell me. Samuel says, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Now, Saul should have said, I repent. You're right. I didn't do what was right. But Saul is sticking to his story. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Notice, he's saying, I didn't kill him. I brought him back. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. I mean, he is so justifying his disobedience at this point. I did. I did everything. I brought the king back. And by the way, it wasn't me that kept the sheep. It's the soldiers. Does this not sound like Aaron at Mount Sinai when he says, you know, I took the gold earrings, I threw them in this fire, and this calf came out. The people made me do it. Samuel replies, does the Lord desire or delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in, in obeying the voice of the Lord? By the way, 
This is a turning point in the nation of Israel. Really. This saying that Samuel gives him. Because they thought, yes, the Lord desires the burnt offering and the sacrifice. Isn't that the law? Isn't that what the law says to do? Isn't that what God wants? And Samuel is saying, does the Lord, this prophetic word is going out. Does the Lord delight in exterior stuff as much as what's in the heart? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. This whole divination, idolatry thing, anytime we put more trust in an exterior action than an inward change, we're in risk of idolatry and trying to manipulate God. The point is not that you came to worship this morning as an exterior act. The point is, did you worship God this morning? Is worship occurring in your heart? The act of giving to God in an offering is not the act, but the heart behind it that says, I'm thanking God for all he's blessed me with. I'm worshiping him. I'm dedicating myself to him. That's what matters to God. Saul, on the other hand, because of his fear of men, he gave in because the soldiers pressured him. He didn't kill the king, Agag, because he, for whatever reason, he didn't. We don't really even know exactly why he didn't kill him. To me, the Amalekites representing the flesh and the compromise, the fear of man, this is key. Because if we don't put to death the flesh in our lives, we're ever going to be battling against it. We're ever going to be having to deal with it. It's going to continue to raise its head. And do you know, years from now, who's going to kill Saul? An Amalekite. An Amalekite is the one who kills Saul and Jonathan in the end. Samuel loves Saul. I mean, really, he, he really did love him. And he... he the next, passage, the next verses say this, Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. Samuel grieves over this lost relationship with Saul. Because of Saul's Hey, by the way, do you know who has to king kill the king of the Amalekites, Agag? It's the old man Saul. He's the one who finally takes out a sword and kills the, puts to death the flesh, the king of flesh. Not Saul still. Again, this is a turning point in the life of Saul. I'll show you a video from a TED Talk of a guy who becomes overly cautious because of something that happened early in his life. When I was six years old, I received my gifts. My first grade teacher had this brilliant idea. She wanted us to experience receiving gifts, but also learning the virtue of complimenting each other. So she had all of us come to the front of the classroom, and she bought all of us gifts and stacked them in the corner. And she said, why don't we just stand here and compliment each other? 
If you hear your name called, go and pick up your gifts and sit down. What a wonderful idea, right? What could go wrong? <laughs> well, there were 40 of us to start with, and every time when I hear someone's name called, I would give out the heartiest cheer. And then there were 20 people left, and 10 people left, and five left, and three left. I was one of them, and the compliments stopped. Well, at that moment, I was crying, and the teacher was freaking out. And she was like, "Hey, would anyone say anything nice about these people? <laughs> no one. Okay, why don't you go get your gift and sit down? So behave next year. Someone might say something nice about you." <laughs> well,、uh, as I'm describing this to you, you probably know I remember this. He goes on to talk about how he becomes overly cautious, so to speak, for the rest of his life, up until. A certain event, so he realizes later he's 30, he's in business, but he he feels like he has some vision for what he should do, but won't do it because he's this event from when he's six years old has caused him to fear men and fear being rejected, so that he doesn't step out, so to speak, and take chances. Now the rest of the TED talk is very interesting.、I'll, in summary, what the guy does, he says, I've got to overcome this fear of rejection. So what he did was he determined for the next hundred days he would do one thing a day in which he would get rejected, so that he could overcome his fear of rejection. And he goes about it by going first day he goes up to a guy, a guard at the place he worked, and said, "Hey, can I borrow some money?" Knowing that the guy was going to say, "No, you can't borrow money." And so he figures after a hundred days of getting rejected. I'll figure out something. Well, what he doesn't know is just the journey that this is going to take him on in so many different directions. But the point is this: we all have events in our lives like this that that then say to us, "Oh, don't step out." Don't. We don't know what it was with Saul. We don't know what it was that that got this fear of man or this fear of rejection to be upon him. But it determined the course of his life. Look at this passage from John. Talks about the religious leaders. It says, "Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him." Talking about Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. This will determine the course of your your life. Do I want God's Blessing, or do I want men's praise? It's a pitfall. Here's one more: becoming an overachiever. So not only do、um, we we struggle like Saul did in so many different ways, but for many we become overachievers. Not just overly cautious or overly compromised, but overachieving. In Saul's life, if you'll remember later on, David becomes. Prominent and Saul pushes him forward as one of the kings. I mean, one of the generals in his army. And after a particular battle, it says when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, 
the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes as they danced. They sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They start singing and dancing. You know, a little tambourine action going on at the same time. Uh, and it, rather than Saul being blessed, it's, hey, they're, they're praising. All he could see was somebody is achieving more than me. Somebody is doing more than I am. And rather than celebrating the fact he's got this guy now who can do great things and lean on him and celebrate his victory, he becomes jealous. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? Oh, what a baby. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept what? A jealous eye on David. This, this need to overachieve, if you don't achieve or somebody achieves more, you become jealous. And it will damage the relationship. It goes on and says, The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin him to the wall. I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. <clears throat> I wouldn't have gone back for the second one, by the way. <laughs> Play my harp. One spear would be all it took for me not to go back. He becomes jealous. He not only becomes jealous, but he becomes hateful. And as a result, he opens himself up to the work of the demonic in his life. Uh, for people who overachieve, when somebody achieves more, it, it, it's, it's, it's deadly. I've told this story before, so if you've been at Fullness for a long time, you know this story. Just go with me. But we've got a lot of new people. I haven't told it probably in, you know, six months. So I'll tell it again. Just kidding. It's been years. When I was in middle school, my family would... My dad went in what's called in view of a call. Anybody from Baptist world? In view of a call? That basically meant you went for a job interview at a church. Um, but they, we spiritualized everything. So uh, he was at one church pastoring, and we were, he was going to another church in South Florida, in Miami, Florida, um, to get interviewed, preach. They had this event. Our whole family went, and I'm one of three children. I have an older sister, younger brother, uh, I'm by nature, I'm introverted. Uh, I don't like crowds. I don't like to be in front of people. I know it's, it's hard to believe at this point, but it's the call of God. It's not me. I would still rather be at home by myself reading a book, um, though I love you a lot. Um, so I went to this thing where all the members of the committee, all adults, you know, like 10 or 20 adults had this dinner where they were going to meet the family. So they go to meet this, the family and you know, they're talking to my, my brother and sister are, are both extroverts. So they're like dominating the conversation at dinner. I don't have to do anything. I just get to sit there and be quiet, eat my food, you know, just endure the night. Um, because as a middle school boy, introverted, I didn't want to even be there or be a part. After the end of the night, one of the ladies came to my mom. And some of you know this story. It's horrible. One of the ladies came to my mom and said, hey, your middle son, is he a special needs child? Talking about me, except she didn't use the word special needs. 
back in the 70s, you know, the R word was what was used. Retarded was the word she asked. Now, my family thought this was hysterical. Because in the family, I was a big talker. I was a know-it-all. Um, still am a little bit, but, um, but I do know it all. So what's it, you know, anyway. Anyway, so they just thought it was hysterical. But for me, I, something flipped in my heart that night where I, I said no one is ever going to ask that question about me again. You know, how you make this inner vow. So not only did I want to do well in school, I wanted to have the top grade in every class. I, I wanted to excel and become the best. Now, you can understand why that still is a battle in my life. But for many of us, the fear of man, the fear of rejection becomes an overachieving. I'm going to be the best. And it leads to all sorts of problems. All sorts of them. I can, I, we don't have time for me to go into all the problems that it's developed in my life over the years. But every single person in this room has one of these things, one of these events. You can look back on something that happened. And some of them are much more horrible than even the one, I, you know, fe- uh, rejection by parents or rejection by uh, uh, appears in a way that is just much more ugly. There are things that happen to all of us where we were told we weren't smart enough, we weren't strong enough, we weren't pretty enough, we weren't handsome enough, we weren't something that a fear of rejection in the future jumped on us. And again, here's where I'm going to quit using examples, but there are so many other responses. An inability to confront, an inability to, to, when we have evil right in front of us, an inability to speak because we're afraid we might be rejected. Becoming inwardly angry and resentful. Always uptight, always mad about something. I'm, I've got to be the best. And if I don't, I kind of like what Saul is. Um, incredibly needy. I mean, you've got those people around. They're just like vacuum cleaners. They suck the life out of you, right? Because they're afraid of being rejected, they just are... And then that's it. They're not, you, you can't get rid of them. Not that you want to get rid of them, but they just, they're so incredibly needy. Why are they like that? Because their fear of being rejected. An impressed mentality. You ever been around a person who's going to, I don't care if you said you climbed Mount Everest, they said they climbed all seven peaks in like no time. You know what I mean? Somebody who always tops the story. Because they have this impress, they've got to impress you mentality. It's a pitfall to being rejected. And then one of the ones that's just seems crazy, but it work, it happens all the time, is I'm gonna be rejected. So instead of you rejecting me, I'm gonna make you reject me, therefore I control the rejection. I'm gonna initiate rejection. I'm gonna do something that makes you reject me because I know you're gonna reject me. You understand what I'm saying? And you look at people like, why are they acting like that? You know what they need? They need freedom. They need to be washed by the blood of the lamb. They need to, to understand that shame and guilt has been, been removed. We could go on with lists. There are so many pitfalls to being rejected. How are we going to get over this? How are we going to prevail over this fear of rejection? Well, one thing is to listen to God. 
Listen to God. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Who said this? Who said this? Thank you. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I'm going to listen only to God. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to speak what he says to me to speak. And God looks at his son and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If you want to get over the fear of rejection, don't listen to people. Listen to God. Listen to what he says about you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror. Listen to what God says about you. Liberate yourself from having to please people. Consciously liberate yourself. This is not about what people say about me. This is about what God says about me. My goal in life is not to please people. Samuel says to Saul, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. If we follow after God and his commands, then we can be free from having to worry about what people say about us. Now, let me say this too. Don't go out and say, you know, Pastor Bart, he told me that I got to free myself from having to please people, so I'm just going to be ugly. I'm just going to be mean to people. I'm just, I'm free from having to please them, so that means I can say whatever I want and do whatever I want and act however I want. That's not what I'm saying, right? Thank you, TV. We don't need more ugly Christians right now. We need, we need believers who love people, who listen to God and obey his voice with a spirit of love and a spirit that says we're proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. But if we listen to people and get conformed to them, then we're going to be just like the world. Paul says, am I, am I trying, now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. We are his ambassadors. We are his servants. We are free to listen to him and do what he, he tells us to do. Free yourself from having to please people. And remember who we're living for. Live for the right audience. Who is our audience? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then Everything else will be added to you as well. People, there is real freedom when we reach a place, which I believe we can, where we're free from the fear of men. We're free from the spirit of rejection being upon us. We're free to walk in what God has called us to do. Let us walk. In the freedom of God. There's a prayer that Lloyd uh, John Ogilvie, former chair, chaplain of the United States Senate, said this. Secure in God's love, I will not surrender my self-worth to the opinions and judgments of others. When I am rejected, I will not retaliate. When I am hurt, I will allow God's love to heal me. And knowing the pain of rejection, I will seek 
to love those who suffer from its anguish. People, let's walk in freedom from the Lord. I'm going to just pray for us right now, and I'm going to ask you to do something maybe a little bolder, and it's this. If you need to be set free from the fear of rejection and the freedom from trying to please men, just stand up and let, and let me pray for you and me together. So if that's you and you'd like for me to pray for you, just stand up. While I pray, the worship team is going to come back up and they're going to get ready to lead us in worship. We're going to take up an offering and we'll give you some more instruction about that in a second. Lord, I just pray for those who are standing right now, for the freedom that comes from knowing that, God, you are with us and that you love us. We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Shame and guilt have been destroyed. And instead, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, for, the, for all of us who have stumbled into these pitfalls that, that come as a result of fear of men and, and, and the spirit of rejection that we're trying to avoid, God, free us, we ask right now. Change our minds. Change our hearts. Give us... Uh, the power of God, the grace of God. Lord, we tear down strongholds that are in our hearts and in our minds, especially in this, this fear of rejection that has caused us to act out in so many varied and horrible ways, ways that have destroyed our destiny, so to speak, ways that have, have, have decimated families, ways that have uh, detoured our lives. And t- today, Lord, we pray that we would walk in the fullness of the life of God. Lord, it is our desire to seek you first in your kingdom first. It is the priority. It is first in our lives. Lord, we desire to do only what we hear you telling us to do and speak what you say for us to speak. May we so be in tune with you like our Lord and Savior Jesus that we walk in power and might and freedom. Lord, may the words that have devastated many of us from our past, Lord, I pray they be broken right now in the name of Jesus. And instead, we walk in the freedom of the Lord. For those who have compromised when they shouldn't have, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. For those who have been cautious and not done what they knew was the right thing to do, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, for those of us who have tried to overcome by achieving or being perfectionist, Lord, free us and forgive us. May we walk. May we walk in living to please you and you alone. May we not let the voices of men determine our course. And may our lives be lived for your pleasure and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Be seated for just a second. Gabriel has a couple of opportunities for service he wants to share with you. Then we're going to bring our offering to the front. And as we do, we're going to worship. Um, Here we go. Well, welcome uh, to this time of giving. I feel like this is an extension of our, our worship. 
in this place. Um, also an opportunity to just celebrate our participation um, with the work of ministry here. So as you make your offering ready, we have different ways you can give digitally. If you have a physical offering that you'd like to give, then we just come up here and put in the offering plates. Um, also, if you're visiting with us, then if you will, take out the connection card and the seat back in front of you, it looks like this, and just let us know that you're here, you're worshiping with us today. Also wanna say it would be great if you did that too, if you're visiting, because we have a visitor's luncheon uh, coming up this coming Sunday in one week, in which we'll share some of the story, vision, and values of our church. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that. Um, so, um, I want to let you guys know this is really exciting. Um, Matt and Lena Alverson, not all of you may know them, but they're a precious couple, a part of our church. Um, they haven't been around quite as much since the pandemic, but their, their child, uh, Joy Dawn Alverson, was born on the 21st, and that's uh, who this rose is in honor of. And so we celebrate with the Alversons uh, today. Also, as Pastor Bart said, we have a service tonight. This is our final celebration worship service for this 21 days of prayer and fasting that we've been in. And I'm really excited that we are ordaining Grant Gramstead as an elder in this place. And that's one of many things that we'll be doing tonight, as well as sharing testimonies and, and worshiping the Lord together. But uh, Grant has been serving as a provisional elder for a number of years, and we're making it legit tonight. So you should come out for that. It's going to be awesome. Um, so with that said, we're going to go back into a time of worship. You can bring your physical offerings to the front. Until the storm is ceased, your voice will rise above the seas. We will not fear, you are still God. Here in the waters deep, your hand will always be beneath. We will not fear, you are still God. We lift our eyes. To you most high, forever be exalted, forever you will be exalted. Our help will come from you most high, forever be exalted, forever you will be exalted. Eternity, you reign with all authority, and now you're here, you are with us. Impossibility remains no longer when you speak, and now you're near, you are with us. We lift our eyes, we lift our eyes. Forever you will be exalted Our help will come 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glorified.